work, not a feeling. It's selfless and kind. Love is a choice, powerful, sacrifice, bearing one another's burdens. Love is. So what does love look like? Christ taught us that the world will know we are his disciples by our love. But how do I shift from apathy to caring? How do I shift from doing the bare minimum to fulfilling the law of Christ? How do I shift from looking out for my own needs to trusting God for them? The answer is attitude. Love is attitude. Well, good morning, everybody. A little help with the lights back there. If we could, there we go. That's good. Let there be light. Very good. Maybe that's a little bit too much light. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, someone could help them out over there. Thank you. That's good. Good enough light. Welcome, everybody, to our third week here in the Love Is series. If you're just joining us here for the first time, we're happy that you're here. We welcome you as we discuss the most important topic in the entire world, which is love. And if you say, Man, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm over-dramatizing it a bit here with my little introduction. Well, if you were here the first week, we saw that how love really is the most important thing, and without love, nothing else matters. And we saw a passage from Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it said that without love, if I don't have love, nothing I say matters, nothing I believe matters, nothing I give matters, nothing I do matters if I do not have love. And our Lord Jesus Christ said it this way in, first, in John chapter 13, verse 34, which is one of his final statements to the believers before his death on a cross. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We're looking at this commandment to love as Jesus loved. And what we agreed in the very beginning is we cannot come up with a simple definition of love is, and then just fill in the blank, which is what we want. We want to say love is to do A, B, C, and D, check it off the list, and then say we did this love thing, but we can't because the Bible defines love. There's only one way the Bible defines love. When it says love is, something is love, it says God is love. So I cannot define God in one, two, three, and therefore God is love, so I cannot define love one, two, three. So what we're doing is not defining love, but describing love. And we're looking at four characteristics of what love like Jesus is supposed to look like. And who remembers last week what we talked about? We said the first characteristics of love is love is? Love is action. Very good. And we talked about how love is not a feeling. Love may lead to feelings, but love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love is not words. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a song. Love is something that we do. And when you look at our Lord Jesus Christ, his love was very evident in his action because he would see a leper that everyone else said, stay away from this leper. What would he do? He'd go and hug that leper. And he would see a sinner that everyone said, don't talk to her. She's a sinful woman. He would say, I don't condemn you and tell all these other people to back away from you. He would see dirty disciples who are about to leave him and even one who's about to betray him. And he would love them by his actions, by getting down on his hands and knees and washing their feet. Love is action. It's not an emotion and it's not a feeling. And you would agree with me that it's the love of action that the world is missing today, right? You're lucky you look around at all the problems of the world and all the different things going on. And like a famous, we did love songs a few weeks ago. It's a love song that I didn't talk about. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Like you look around the world, the world is yearning and dying for love. And love really would solve all the problems in the world. Just uh, uh, yes, or two days ago, I was in Chicago this past week for a couple days, and on the plane ride over, okay, I'm, I'm boarding the plane, and it's like, what, what's a flight to Chicago? It's like an hour, hour and a half, something like that, a very short flight. I'm walking on the plane, and I noticed some commotion going around my seat area. Okay, I'm row 30, and I'm the window seat. And I noticed some commotion, and there's basically, in row 29, there's a lady and her daughter who each have the middles, Okay, and they're trying to k get the guy in the window to switch so that they could be together. The girl was, I don't know, eight, nine years old, something like that. And the lady and the trying and the man's like, but the window. And so I just, you know, I'm walking on. I said, you know, excuse me, like, what's the problem here? You want a window? Take my window. It's not a big deal. I sat in the middle. It's a big deal. She acted as if I saved her daughter from drowning from her lake. <laughs> as if I had done the greatest thing imaginable. And, and it's, it's like an hour and a half flight. Like, it's not that big a deal. 
But you see how the world is hungry for acts of love. Like she couldn't believe it. And the someone will give up a window seat just for a, win for a middle seat. This is the kind of love, not saying myself as an example, but what I'm saying is the love that people can touch and can see, this is the kind of love that the world is longing for. And last week, for those who were here, we talked about why we often struggle to love in this way. And we said that we cannot love God or others in a healthy way unless we first love ourselves in a healthy way. And we talked about some of us love ourselves too much, but more of us love ourselves too little. And we talked about how you can't really love unless you learn to love yourself healthy. That was last week. This week, we're going to go beyond love is action. We're going to go love is attitude. Because what I have recognized is there is a danger in talking too much about love as an action. Like love is action for sure. But it's dangerous to focus too much on saying love is an action. Why? Because what we don't want is to water love down into an event or water love down into something that I pencil in on my calendar. That, you know what? That on the first Saturday of the month, we're going to go love the homeless people and then the other 29 days, don't come talk to me. And on Good Friday, I'm going to go home and be loving to my wife and my kids, but don't talk to me after that. It's dangerous if we boil love down into a event or an action without realizing that it is much bigger and something beyond that. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story from Luke chapter 10, a story that we all know probably the most famous story from the Bible that everyone knows, but many people don't even realize it's from the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to see how in this story Jesus shows us that love is not something that you pencil into your calendar, but it's an attitude that we need to have wherever we go at all times and in all places. Before we get to the story, the introduction of the story in Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells the story, but it's at the conclusion of a discussion he has with a gentleman who is a lawyer. And here's how the discussion starts. Luke 20, 10 verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? You're a lawyer. What does the law say? He says, What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. So Jesus is asked, What's the most important thing to inherit eternal life? So he turns it back to the guy and says, you read the law, what does it say? It says, love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, correct, you have answered correctly. Now watch what the guy does next. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And he wanting to do what? Justify himself. What does that mean? Forgive me, the lawyers in the room. Forgive me. This is not an attack on lawyers. This is an attack on, not an attack, not an attack, okay? A uh, sort of an attack, okay? On people who have a legalistic mindset who this lawyer embodies, but it's not just lawyers. What was he saying when he tried to justify himself? God said, I'm sorry, Jesus said, if you want to make it, you have to love God. He said, okay. And if you want to make it, you have to love your neighbor. And he, wanting to justify himself, said, who's my neighbor? Why? He, because he basically wanted to say, I'm not loving towards these people, but they're not my neighbor. I wanted, I'm, I'm, and we do this all the time. We have to love our neighbor. My neighbor is this girl who does nice things. This girl who does nice things. This girl talks bad about me. She's not my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? One, two, that's it. He was asking the question to justify his own lack of love for certain people, or as we'll see here, certain groups of people, and basically to say, I agree we should love my neighbor. These are my neighbors. Those are not my neighbors. My coworker is my neighbor. My boss is not my neighbor. He wanted, like we oftentimes, to define the scope of love and to limit it and to say, those who love me, I should love them. Even forget, I'll tell you what, forget about those. Forget about this way. We want to define the scope this way, that I should definitely be loving when I'm in a good mood. But when I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to be loving. And I have a right to not be loving because I'm in a bad mood. And I didn't have my cup of coffee today, so watch out. And we like to 
chop away some of the different areas of responsibility and define the scope of love. And that's what this guy is trying to do right here. Jesus blows away his scope when he gives this parable. And you all know this parable, all right? And in this parable, Jesus defines the scope of loving my neighbor, okay? But understand that this parable is in a response to love your neighbor, who's my neighbor? Here's your neighbor. And then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Story that we all know doesn't need much explanation. Man walking down a road, and it's, no, it's a notoriously dangerous road. He's walking by himself. Some hooligans jump out of the bush, beat him to a pulp, steal his wallet, you know, mess him up, leave him half dead. And then all of a sudden, someone else walking down that road, and the first person is a priest. So every time I read this, obviously, take this one very, very much to heart here. Priest walks by. How would you describe the priest's attitude as he walked by? As he came down that road, and when he saw him, he did what? He passed by on the other side. We'd never do that, right? This would never be us. We'd never be this cold and this callous, would we? We would never see a problem, stare at it, and then just go to the other side. We would never, ever, ever want anything like that. But this is the way this guy was. This guy saw his coworker in need, and then just said, you know what? I got my own problems to deal with. I don't have time to mess, get involved in his stuff. This guy saw someone in need at some point in time and said, you know what? Like, I'm busy. Like, again, he's a priest. That's why I have compassion. Anyone who says this guy's a bad guy, this is a priest. They only make the top of the top priests. Okay, like this is the highest class of individual right here. And this guy, in my mind, this guy was saying, you know what? I don't have time to help this person. Man, I, I, I got to go to church and I got to prepare a sermon. And there's people come into this thing called the well and they got to hear a message on love and I'm not prepared. So I don't got time to love anybody on the way because I'm a busy man. I got church services. I got stuff going on. This would never be us. Second guy walks by is a Levite. Okay, Levite is the family of priests. So he might not have been a priest, but he's from the family of priests. And this guy, it says, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. This guy better or worse? Better or worse? Same, worse. Why? One guy, it says that he saw him and he passed by on the other side. This guy says he saw him. He did what? Came over and looked. Woo! And he walked over on the other side. Thank God that ain't me. Woo! And he walked by on the other side. This guy's worse. But again, this would never be us, right? We'd never do this. We'd never just stare when we see someone stuck on the side of the road. We like to stare and everybody look and slow down traffic and stare and then, thank God, and drew drive right on by. You're driving in the snow, someone's stuck on the side of the road, and you say, well, thank God it's not me. I'll give you an easy one. You go to the grocery store and you see the mom with that kid who is just a volcano of explosion, and you cannot help but stare, and we all stare. And then we pretend we're not staring, but then we stare. And then we just say, thank you, Lord, that's not my kid. It's always easier to stare at someone else's problem than to get your hands dirty and get involved in their problem. You know what proves that we as human beings love to watch train wrecks and other people's problems? Tabloids. And reality TV. That's a good one too. Reality TV. I didn't think of that one. I was going to say tabloids. Because even, my, even I myself, when you walk and by, you don't care about these stupid tabloids, but, oh, so-and-so broke up with so-and-so. That's a shame. You just can't hey, resist. You just can't resist in the grocery store line to look at who broke up with who and who gained this much weight and who You just can't resist. Because it's always funner to just stare at your problems than to do anything about it, is our human nature. Here's what I want to make clear with this parable. Both of these guys, priest and Levite, went to their homes this day. And what did they say about themselves? Do you think any one of them said, man, I was not loving today. Or man, I was a bad person today. Or man, I was mean today. Everyone went to their homes and said, thank you, Lord, that that's not me. They justified themselves and they thought in their minds, I fulfilled the scope of love because I'm not the one who beat him up. No, I'm not the one who robbed him. I'm not the one who did anything bad to him. Therefore, I'm a loving person. But Jesus blew away their scope. Verse 34. But a certain Samaritan, the story continues, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. 
So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, said to him, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. See all the actions that he did? Love his action, love his action, love his action. But the most important part of the story was before the action was the attitude. So when he saw him, he had compassion. This is the part of love that we're talking about here today. Is this attitude of we have our eyes open at all times, whether it's on my schedule or not on my schedule. I told you all this before. The most of the time when Jesus showed love to individuals was not scheduled stops. It would say, Jesus is walking from one town to the other. And then a lady came and said, have mercy on me. And then Jesus is walking from this town to this town. And a man came and said, my son is sick. Please come to visit him. Jesus had this attitude and this is the attitude that we need to have. Because love is more than an action. It is an attitude. Love is not just when I'm in a good mood, I'm loving. Love is not just when you're loving. Love is not just I give you my seat when you give me an aisle, I give you my window. Sometimes love even when you get stuck with the middle. <laughs> love is an attitude that we need to have at all times and all places. Now what I want to talk about here today is how we can shift our attitude to a loving attitude. And I'm going to talk about three specific ways that our attitude needs to shift. These are not necessarily things that you can do. Like, it's not you snap your fingers and do it. But these are three attitudes we need to shift and start to shift them so that by, over the course of time, it becomes second nature. But it's not second nature at first, but we need to start to make these shifts in our attitude to meet Jesus' standard, all right? First shift in attitude is from disinterested to caring. I'm not talking about action today. I'm talking about attitude. We need to shift from disinterested to caring. What do I mean? You hear on the news, Christians are persecuted in the Middle East. You hear on the news that in Africa and China and those kind of places, they take young girls for sex trafficking. You hear countless countless number of stories of babies, babies being murdered in abortion for no reason, no crime of their own. You hear all these kinds of stories. I'm not asking you, listen carefully. I'm not asking you, do you do anything? I'm asking you, do you care? I'm not asking you, do you go to the Middle East and fight for the rights of Christians? I'm not asking that. I'm saying, do you care? I'm not saying, do you go to Africa? I'm not saying, do you do, I'm not saying, do you do anything? I'm saying, do you care? Okay, I'll tell you what, forget about it. Forget about the Christians in the Middle East. They're too far away. Forget about babies that we don't know. Forget about sex trafficking. Those are all distant things. Right here, amongst us. There are single moms amongst us who are struggling to make ends meet. Do you care? There's a father who just found out he's getting laid off. He don't know how he's gonna tell his wife and his kids. Do you care? There's little children who are in our congregation, in our church family, who are scared, scared. They have no sense of security at home. They don't feel love from their father or mother. Do you care? They don't have anyone to believe in them. Do you care? I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm saying, do you care? And if we do not care, if it doesn't stir our hearts in the little bitest of way, then we got a problem. The scriptures in Hebrew chapter 13, St. Paul says this. He says, let brotherly love continue. And then he gives some examples. He says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And he goes on the rest of the chapter. I only brought this, this one verse. There's one passage right here. What is this verse trying to say? This passage trying to say? It's saying we need to stop thinking about ourselves in such isolated bubbles. That you know what? I'm okay. I'm not in prison. I'm not a stranger. I have no problems. Therefore, everything is fine. No. We are part of a body. We are part of a family. And in a body is what the scriptures say. In your body, there are many parts. Think about the smallest, most insignificant part of your body that's worthless. Your tiny little pinky toe. Your tiny little pinky toe. If something happens to that tiny little pinky toe and you're in the middle of the night and you stub that little toe on the nightstand, the whole body suffers and the whole body's in pain. The whole body's writhing. The, the brain doesn't say, be quiet, little pinky toe. We don't worry about you. The whole body suffers when the pinky toe suffers. And that's a picture of our, of our body here as the church, as the family of God. 
How can it be that one of us is in prison and the rest of us don't care? How can it be that one of us is a stranger and in need of a place to stay and none of us care? How can it be that some of us are so well-to-do and some of us are not and we don't care? And again, I'm not saying we do anything. I haven't said to do anything. I'm just saying to care. In the New Testament, Jesus made this, this, this so clear to his disciples, poignantly clear in a way that they'll never forget. The story of the five loaves and the two fish. Y'all remember that story? It's told in every one of the gospel accounts. And in that story, you have a multitude of people who are following Jesus and they're listening to him preach. And at one point in time, the disciples have a little discussion with Jesus about this group of people. Look what it says. It says in Mark 6, 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and look how, look at his attitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. He attitude, sheep not having a shepherd, compassion. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him. Look at his disciples' attitude and said, this is a deserted place, already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and, villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. The disciples thought, we're being compassionate to them. Lord, they're hungry. Get rid of them so they can eat. Jesus said, they're hungry, send them away to eat? Look what he says. You give them something to eat. What are you talking about? They're hungry, send them away to eat. You give them something to eat. They don't sit there and say, we, we're, they're hungry, so send them away so we can enjoy our lunch. If they're hungry, that's your problem. Because if you're hungry, that's my problem. And Jesus taught us that we are not independent. We are not isolated. We are part of a body. And if one member of that body suffers, we all suffer. Is that easy? No, that ain't easy. Because everything in the world has trained us, like I said, live in your bubble. Someone else got laid off. Make the sign of the cross. Say, thank you, Jesus. That is not me. Someone else is mistreated by their family the way they were raised. They thank you, Jesus. That's not me. And we are trained just to live in our own isolated bubble. And thank God for what we have. And we think it's very, very spiritual. Just like the priest and the Levite. Very spiritual. That ain't spiritual. What we're going to do on each one of these attitude shifts is we're going to give ourselves a grade. On your handout, you see a scale, one to five. Five being that you are top notch, that you are the good Samaritan. One being that you're like the guys dressed like me, the priest and the Levite, the story. Where do you stand on being disinterested versus being caring? You see someone in need. You say, thank God that it's, that it's not me, or you roll up your sleeves and help them. Forget about even helping them. You see someone in need, and do you say, Lord, send someone to help that person on the side of the road? <laughs> or do you look up and say, Lord, am I that person that you're sending to help that person on the side of the road? That's number one. We move from disinterested to caring. Number two, we move from bare minimum to bear burdens. We move from bare minimum to bear burdens. Too often in life, we connect love with not having a negative. What I mean by that is we say I'm loving if I am not mean. And we identify success as not do as avoiding certain negative things. So I'm loving if I don't say anything mean. I'm loving if I don't hurt anybody. I'm loving if there's nothing that I do that causes you pain. Well, that's what the priest and Levite would have said. I didn't cause any problem to this person, therefore I'm a loving person. That's a bare minimal view of life. That's a bare that's a looking at just what's the bare minimum I need to just eke my way into being a loving person. That's not the attitude we're going to take. We're going to take a, we're not going to go into it and say, I'm trying to avoid an F, so we're happy when we get a D minus. We're going to go in there and say, I want to get an A. I want to get an A plus. I want to get an A plus plus. I want to get a better grade than you. This is where the being competitive, okay, it actually helps in the spiritual life. That I don't want to just be a nice person. I want to be a loving person. I want to be the most loving person. I want to kick your behind in being loving person in a positive way. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, sets the bar of what our measurement is. St. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See how he says? 
to fulfill the law of Christ. Not just bare minimum, not just eke our way through, but he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I like the verse that comes after it. He, he clarifies it and says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Y'all catch what he's saying there? He's saying, stop telling me how loving a person that you are. If you think you're something by saying loving words and praying for people who are in tough situations, but you do not carry their burdens, you deceive yourself. What's the difference between loving and bearing someone's burdens? Easy. Let's say I'm up here and I'm carrying this 10,000 pound podium here and I'm struggling and this thing is so heavy and I'm trying to carry it and I'm struggling my way. Some people would pray for me, encourage me, go Abuna, go. You're doing great would shower me with praise and clap for me, and somebody else would keep his mouth shut and help me pick it up. Loving is too easy to be vague. It's too easy to be intangible. It's too easy to say, yes, we're encouraging, and yes, we're praying for. Okay, pick it up. Carry someone's burdens means when you see somebody carrying something that is too heavy for them. That's why burdens is different than responsibility. It's not advocating an irresponsible kind of love where which is we just help people and enable people. It's not saying it like that. And the rest of the chapter makes it clear, but I don't want to talk about it right now. It's not talking about an enabling kind of love. It's talking about a burden when somebody's ability is exceeded by their burden. That's what burdens means. When somebody's ability is here and what they're, what they're given is this, no, we're not, we're, not, we're not supposed to give people handouts just for the sake of hand. That's not, that's not love. That's enabling. That's not love. But that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about when someone's ability is here, but life throws at them here. That's where we jump in as the body of Christ. We need to shift our attitude from avoidance of hate to display of love. From avoidance of hurt to helping people carry their burdens and easing people's burdens in life. You say, just like I say, I'm busy, I don't have time, I got my own burdens. You say all those things and I tell you, you can join the priest and the Levite who say the exact same thing. Because every one of them would say, I'm busy, I don't have too much in life, I got my own stuff going on. But I tell you, what is your goal in life? What are you aiming for? You're here in church. Why are you in church? You pray to God. Why do you pray to God? You read your Bible. Why do you read your Bible? What is it you're aiming for? I'll tell you what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming that I can be as Christ-like as possible. And I fall short of that just like you fall short. We all fall short. But that's my goal. And therefore, if there's an opportunity that presents itself to be more Christ-like, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to look at it and say, well, you know what? I helped somebody last week. I gave up my seat. I, look, I gave up my seat on the plane. I'm a great saint. I'm a martyr. Put me up in the icon. Make an icon of me and somebody kiss it. I'm the greatest human being in the world. So don't come talk to me about love. I gave up my seat on the plane and I'm the greatest human being. That's not the goal. The goal is not just to... The goal is you see an opportunity to be more like Christ, you jump on it. You see an opportunity to be more rich in love, you jump on it. See what I'm saying? The mindset... I'm not talking about action. I'm talking about a mindset that goes around not saying bare minimum, but saying, hey, there's an opportunity. I can be more like Christ. I'm going to take that opportunity. There's an opportunity. I can love someone. I'm going to jump on that. Hey, this is going to cost me 10 minutes of my time, but you know what? It'll provide me a little bit closer in the kingdom of heaven. I'll be happy to do that. Do you think I like, again, I'm, not, I'm just using my example because it's just the other day, but I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the world. You think I'm happy to sit in the middle seat between this guy who looks like he wants to call 911 and this guy looks like, like, you think I'm happy to sit between those two guys? Like, each of them, like, looking at me like, that not make me happy. But you know what makes me happy? To feel like I helped somebody. And to feel like, again, it was nothing. But to feel like this little seven-year-old girl, I'm going to make it bigger in my mind because I want to make myself feel good. It might, it's probably not this big a deal, but in my mind, I'm making it a big deal. This little seven-year-old girl would have been scared, and she'd have been crying, and she'd have been whatever. And I made her feel a little bit happy. That makes me feel good. That's worth the inconvenience. Thomas Aquinas, great saint from the Roman Catholic Church, said something to the effect of, if the captain of the ship thought that the goal was to protect the ship, he'd never leave the harbor. Say that again. If the captain of the ship, if his primary goal was to avoid any damage to the ship, he'd never leave the port. 
he'd never leave the harbor. And some of us, that's the way we live our Christian lives. As if the goal is just to avoid anything bad happening. That's not the goal. The goal is to get somewhere and to be successful. So with that said, what can I do? How can I achieve anything? How can I grow in this area? Again, I'm not trying to talk about action. I'm just trying to give you examples. Find a single mom who's here amongst us and say, hey, I can babysit for you, give you a Friday night off. You want a Friday night off? I'll come babysit for you. Find somebody who's struggling to find a job, struggling with their resume, say, hey, I'm good at writing resumes. I can give you a hand if you want. Find somebody who just needs a break, who just needs a break, just needs somebody to give them a hug, just somebody to tell them that you're loved, somebody to tell them that like you have value, and just go give it to them. What does that cost us? All those things that I said cost us nothing. But the attitude, like I'm not talking, like, what I want to say is this, what the result of those actions are is inconsequential. What is significant is the attitude behind them. It's inconsequential what happens as the result. The person may say, I don't want you to babysit my kids, stay away from me. I don't need your help in my resume. I don't want nothing from you. The pro I don't care about that. What I care about is the attitude that I say, I want to be a more loving person. I want to be like Jesus was. And that is what has value. The reason why I'm, I'm maybe a little more passionate on this one than most people, maybe some of you have heard me tell this story. I told it several years ago. This story of the Good Samaritan touches me because I lived it, but on the wrong side. There was a time I was probably like two or three years into my priesthood at the time. And I was on my way to uh, the courthouse, Fairfax County Courthouse. I got a ticket, so I need to go to court. <laughs> okay. That's the only time I ever had to go, okay? But I had to go to court. So I had a ticket, and you know when you have a ticket, like it's, they tell you you have to be there at 9 o'clock, and 9 o'clock means 9 o'clock, because if you are the first, you're probably going to stay till 2, okay? But you have to be there at 9, because if you're the first one called and you're out there, that's not good. Anyway, I'm on my way, and I may be running just a little bit tad behind, but I'm not late. I'm just like, have exactly enough time to do exactly what I need to do. So I pull into the parking garage. If y'all know the, the courthouse, now it has that big fancy garage, but it didn't used to have that. So it used to be a real big pain. I pull in there. Let's say it's like 8.57 when I put the car in park, like 8.57 and a half or something like that. And then you got to walk down the thing and you got to go all the way to the thing. So here I am. And when I walk, I don't know if y'all seen me walk, I got a power walk. Like I'm like NASCAR. I'm like weaving in and out of people, okay? Because I'm late for this thing and I'm like, and I can't. And I remember as I'm walking, and I'm like bobbing and weaving through traffic, old people going like this and that, that I saw, I saw this couple, okay? I saw this couple, probably, let's go 18, 19, 20, somewhere in that era, okay? In that, that time, era or uh, age, okay? Or era, okay, whatever, okay? It was a long time ago, okay? It was a long era. And they were noticeable because they had the hair, and the black leather, and the piercings, and the tattoos, and they were like all over the place. So I took notice of them, not in a good Christian way, okay, in a judgmental way, I'll be honest. Okay, I noticed them, and I remember thinking to myself, like, like get by them, all right? And I took note of that. And then later, I keep walking, and there was this old guy, all right? And there's like four or five steps, and this old guy's got this walker thing, and he's like laboring to get up there. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I feel bad for that guy, but I'm late. It's now like 8.59, like boom. And I almost probably knock him over as fast as I drive by him or I walk by him. And then you get inside, all right, and you go, and you go through the security and all that stuff, and I'm about to make it. I'm like, whew, I made it. It's 8.59, I make it. And then you have to walk back this same route inside, and it's all glass windows, okay? So you walk this sidewalk, and then you go in, and you walk back inside the building, but this is glass. And as I'm walking through the glass, and I'm getting there to on time, I see that same old man. But now somebody is helping him up the stairs. Guess who's helping him? And I about fell to the floor. Not because of anything. I'm not saying God is going to condemn me forever. But I'll never forget that story. I'll never forget that story because I honestly feel that I missed an opportunity. I missed a chance. I missed a chance to help Jesus himself up those stairs. 
And that's how I'll honestly go through the rest of my life. And that's why if I see a lady who wants a seat, I'm not going to miss that chance again. I may, I may be oblivious to it, and many times I'm oblivious. But because I remember that, man, I can't have that again because that tore me up. I think of this verse from Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus said to this rich young man, he said to him, if you want to be perfect, Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I always look at this verse as a reminder of what is it you're aiming for? Jesus said to this guy, give up this, give up this, give up this, give up this, give up this. He said, no, Lord, that's too much. But you know what? Jesus actually didn't tell him to give up anything. Jesus actually did not command him to give up anything. This is not a commandment. You know what this is? This is an invitation. And there's a difference. Jesus did not tell him, you have to give up this, you have to give up this, you have to give up this. Jesus said, look here, son. I want to give you the highest of the high. And all you have to pay is just a few measly things on this earth. And the man said, no, no, I can't. And I say, this man was a fool. Because this man had a chance to get a million dollars, and all he had to do was give up his monopoly money. But he said, no, I can't give up my monopoly money. And he say, oh, Jesus, you command too much. No, Jesus didn't command him too much. Jesus invited too much. And that's what I'm saying with me and my story, and that's what I'm saying with us. Jesus does not command us to love. Jesus invites us to love. And I, that day, missed out an opportunity and I don't want anyone else to miss an opportunity for them. So we move from bare minimum to bare burdens. Number three, last one, is we need to shift from counting on myself to counting on God to carry my burdens. From counting on myself to counting on God to carry my burdens. The easy thing to say, as I would have said on that Fairfax County Courthouse, as the priest and Levite would say, say, I got my own stuff. Man, I don't got time to be in your problems. Man, I got problems myself. I don't got time to deal with your job situation. Man, I got a job situation myself. I got a lot. And you know what I say to you? 100%, you are justified. You have too much on your plate. But I am telling you this. I'm telling you this, and I can't prove it. It's not a formula. It's not nothing, but it's true. And my experience says it's true, and it's true. That you have two choices. You either carry your own burdens or you carry other burdens of others. And I promise you, if you carry the burdens of others, Jesus himself will carry your burdens. It's a question whether or not you trust him. I'll show you a story. Stories from Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is a story of a guy named Ananias who was asked by God to carry a very, very large burden. This is how the story goes. Now there was a certain disciple. Oh, Acts chapter 9, a little context, is after the, is the story of the conversion of Saul to Paul, okay? Saul, when he was, okay, St. Paul, the one who wrote in the New Testament, before he was a Christian, he was actually a persecutor of Christians. And he was not just a persecutor, but the worst of them all. And he was notorious and infamous, for he was the meanest guy of them all. And every Christian knew when he was coming into town, you run for your life, because he like breathed anger and hatred towards Christians. And anywhere he went, Christians got killed. That's who he was. On the road, as he was walking down the road one day, Christ appeared to him. And Christ said, you got it all wrong, Saul. I'm God. Stop persecuting me. And he changed him. But he needed a little help. And the help comes in the form of Ananias. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight. Okay, so far, so good. And inquire at the house of Judas. Okay, go visit this Judas character. Okay, what am I going to go find when I get there? Inquire for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. You're Ananias. What do you think? God appears to you. Yes, Lord, speak, Lord. Your servant is here listening. Yes, what can I do for you? Arise. I'm up, Lord. Go to the city. You got it, Lord. Go knock in this house, Judas. Yeah, Judas, what's his name? That's fine. That's great. Then what? I go talk to Saul of Tarsus. That's a good one, God. What are you going to do? <laughs> this is like you getting a vision in the night. It's not you. This is you are a young Jewish girl 
living in Nazi Germany, and God appears to you, says, go knock on Hitler's door and ask him if he wants to buy Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> Dear Mr. Hitler, I'm a young Jewish girl. That doesn't make any sense. If I'm Ananias and you're Ananias, what do you say? We think he's, yes, Lord, this is a great idea. Why didn't I think of this myself? No, he's a human being like us. And he says, Lord, I got my own burdens. And Ananias answered, Lord, well, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's saying, Lord, that's a great idea. But I don't know if you heard the news. Like he's a bad guy. And he kills people. And Lord, watch now and be spiritual. Lord, I got a wife and kids to take care of. Who are going to take care of them? Lord, I need to preach the gospel to the rest of Damascus. I can't do much preaching if I'm dead. And we, like Ananias, say, Lord, I can't. I got enough on my plate as is. How does God respond? Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go. Look, he doesn't address it. He says, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God says to him, that's cute. Go. And you know what he's saying when he's saying go? He's saying go. I got you. I got you. Ananias. I got you. You trust me? God, I can't. I had too much on my plate. I can't. I'm carrying something heavy, and you want me to help this person carrying this heavy thing. I can't carry both. So God says, you know what? Put yours down. I got yours. You carry someone else's, and trust me, I got your back. Story continues. And Ananias trusted. He went his way, entered the house. I'm sure he, he prepared his will before he went, but he entered his house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized, and the rest is history. The world hasn't been the same. Anyone who has ever read one word of St. Paul or been touched by his work or the churches that he started, which all of us are part of that, Ananias, he's our guy. Because if there was no Ananias, there would be no St. Paul. And Ananias was strong enough and confident enough in who God is to say, I got this heavy thing that I'm trying to carry, Lord, but I'm going to put it down and I'm going to help this person. And I trust that you got my back. And give you some advice. Look, this is not a commandment. Some things we say are commandments. This is not a commandment. This is advice from a friend to a friend. Trust me. You carry the burdens of others, and Jesus himself will carry your burdens. And you will never know whether I am right or I am wrong unless you take a step of faith and try to carry someone's burdens. There's this mystery in life. I can't explain it. But the more you focus on your own burdens, the more bigger they actually become. Bigger, not more bigger. The bigger they actually become. And the more you focus on someone else's burdens, the more your own start to shrink. I can't explain it. You would think it's the opposite. If I just focused on my own problems, I could solve them. It is the exact opposite. The more you focus on your own loneliness, the more you become lonely. The more you focus on your own upbringing and how wrong it was, the worse its effects become on your life. The one who will get past his past is the one who seeks to help others get past their past and carry the burdens of others. Can't explain it. But Jesus alluded to that. I always connect Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens, so fill the law of Christ, with Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. The two verses, I believe, are connected. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, you who labor, not who you sit on, your, sit on your butts all day and complain about your own problems and not give you rest. That's how we want it. You sit there and we complain, and God gives us rest. That's not how it works. The one who carries other burdens... God says, okay, I carry your burden. The one who carries his own, God says, okay, you got it. I trust you. So God is very trusting of us. We got it? Okay, you got it. No, Lord, I don't got it. He carries it for us. It's a mystery that I can't explain, but I promise you in my heart, anytime I ever preach on this topic of the strong caring for the weak, I promise you, 
I feel God's power in it in a way that I cannot describe. I feel there's something so powerful about the strong caring for the weak and something so wrong, 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 wrong about strong people who do not care about weak people. Why are we strong? Not for our own strength, but to help those who are not strong, to help those who are weak. And I'm telling you, it is a mystery. What do we say in the divine liturgy? We say, God who dwells in the highest, but looks upon the lowly. God has a special place in his heart for the lowly, for those who are burdened beyond belief. And you know what? Not only does he have a special place for those people, he has an even more special place for those who help those people. You want to know why? I have a theory. Why does God have a special place in his heart for the lowly? Why does he say that God dwells in the highest, but he's always with the lowly? You know why? Because God's son was lowly. Wasn't he? How did Jesus live on this earth? As a rich king? Strong man? Despised? Rejected. With grief acquainted. That's what we say in the scripture. He was a peasant. He was rejected by his own. It says in own hometown, they rejected him. His own disciples left him at the cross. Jesus, by every stretch of the imagination. Jesus was, why does Jesus say he's got a special place for the poor? Because he was poor. Why he got a special place for the sick? Because he himself bore all of our sicknesses. Why he's got a special place for the orphan? Because he himself had no place to lay his head. He had no father and he had no place to lay his own head. Jesus himself was the weak. So therefore, there's a mystery here, which I can't explain. But when we care for the weak, we care for Jesus. It's a mystery. Can't explain it. But when we care for the weak, we care for Jesus. And by the same token, when we walk by the weak, we walk by Jesus. You may not realize it, but there are people around you right now who are burdened greater than they can handle. And as a parent... I'm a parent, I have children. If one of my children is sick or in need and you help them, man, I'll kiss your feet. And if one of my children is in need and you walk right by them and ignore them, don't come say hi the next Sunday. And I don't think it's any different with God. There are people around you right now that you may not realize it, are lonely, discouraged, anxious, sad, stressed, just need a hug, just need a smile. Some people don't even need a hug. They just need a smile. You know, I had one person tell me that one time. I had one person, I, when I, you know, I like the hugs. Okay, I like the hugs. I like the hugs because everyone needs hugs. You know why I like hugs so much? Because several years ago, probably eight, nine years ago, something like that, there was this girl who came to me, and I would give her a hug. And one time I didn't give her a hug. Whatever, I'm busy. Uh, and she said, and she noticed I didn't give her a hug last week. And I didn't even notice. And she said, you know, the only hug I get all week is here on Sundays. High school girl, college girl, something like that. Yeah, exactly. You don't know who's sitting amongst you right now that hasn't been hugged since last Sunday. You don't know. We need to change our attitude. And just to show you, we're going to watch a short little video clip right now about how you don't realize the small, small things that you can do here in the body of Christ by shifting your attitude can make a big difference because you never know when somebody, a little things that make a big difference. We'll watch a little video right now of our friend Moheb. Hi, I'm Moheb, the other Cadiz. Um, I was asked to give a testimony about my experiences here at STSA. And this is how it began. My story is I moved out of uh, Virginia and I left Virginia for a few years four five six years I don't know how long it's been and I came back I came back to when I left it was just St. Mark's and I came back to St. Mark's and STSA and there was like a million more Coptic people around and I knew nobody I was like it's weird when you're brand new somewhere but it's even weirder when you're brand new at home but um I went to STSA I'm a person that quite uh that does not like small talk. I hate small talk and I don't think I will ever be able to, you know, form a relationship through small talk. But what's good about STSA is it allows people to meet each other and to get to know each other on a personal level. 
um, I, I was very scared to go to uh, life groups when it first began, when I first started, and a few people encouraged me to do so, and it's been the best decision of um, my church career, I guess you could call it. <laughs> Uh, you get to meet people. It's very nice. You get to know who people are. And on Sundays, you know, that weird, awkward feeling everybody gets after the sermon and you're walking around, looking around, like, who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to say hi to? Yeah, well, you actually know people enough to say, hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. And you know it's sincere. So um, that's a... And you know it's sincere. So I'm really glad to be a part of STSA because I feel like it helps me grow closer to Christ. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, we're there. That's worthy of a hand. If you don't think it's worthy of a hand, then try to do it yourself, all right? Last verse, I'll leave you all with this. Let us not, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I want to circle this last part right here. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You never know. You never know who is burdened and what little things that you can do that make a big difference in people's lives. And this is what it means we say love is an attitude. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for so many times you encourage us and you pick us up and you send us people to like minister to us in our time of greatest need. Lord, we pray that you can change our attitudes to be like the Good Samaritan. That as we leave here, we leave with a renewed sense of, of loving other people and an attitude that says that our goal is not to be bare minimum, but our goal is to offer someone love this day. Help us, Lord, to be like your hands and your feet your eyes, your smile, your hug to every single person, Lord, but especially those who are in the household of faith here in your church. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.